he instilled within his followers that message to spread all over the world because compared to spending hell forever separated from the Father, everything else is secondary. So that is, again, the urgent and primary task of the church. Are there really only six degrees of separation between us and anyone in the world? Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Later in today's broadcast, David continues with our study of the Gospel of John. But first, he has a special word of encouragement to all of us about the power we each have in our call to spread the Gospel to all the world. Are you aware that uh, in the 1960s, a study was done that says that we are six degrees away from influencing anybody and everybody in the world? And in this study, it showed the interconnectivity of the human race. And again, how we are just six relationships away from influencing somebody else. I can remember when Marilyn started praying for the Sudan, that God just burdened her heart for that. And interestingly, God then opened a door for me to raise about a half a million dollars to take what we called sacks of hope over to the Sudan and help the Darfurai refugees who were being persecuted just simply because of the color of their skin. They were black Muslims and the lighter skinned Muslims felt like it was necessary to show prejudice against them and killed almost a million of them. You know, prejudice folks is a condition of the human heart. Uh, it has no national boundaries. It's an systemic inward problem of the human heart. And we saw it in the Sudan among Muslims. And light-skinned Muslims hated darker-skinned Muslims, and they especially hated darker-skinned Christians. And so therefore, that's what gave them permission to kill almost a million of the Darfurai people. And then the refugees fled for their lives. Well, we brought those sacks of hope over there. And it was so amazing. The person who did that for us was a man named Kenny Isaacs, who worked for Samaritan's Purse. And then Kenny uh, knew the president of the Sudan uh, named Salva Kiir. So it was so interesting that while we were there, we distributed the Sacks of Hope. Then we went to Juba and the newly formed South Sudan government. And Kenny arranged for us to actually go meet the president of South Sudan and to be in his presidential palace and to pray for him. And I couldn't help but think there we were some years earlier, Maryland just feeling a burden to pray for the Sudan area, that door opening up through another contact that I had, then Kenny Isaac stepping into the picture. And then before we knew it, we were praying for the president of South Sudan, someone that Maryland began praying for some years earlier. Again, emphasizing the fact that we are only six degrees of separation from, again, that study in the 1960s from any person in the world. So if that's true, we all need to recognize the power of us sharing the gospel with somebody else. Now, amidst all the turmoil that's happened in our nation over these past days, weeks, months, even the past year plus, we need to remind ourselves as a church not to fall prey to the social calls upon all of us to do whatever. If we're followers of Jesus, we must resist those things becoming primary in our following of Jesus. What is primary is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the call of the church. So if the church is to remain faithful during these tumultuous times, we've got to remain faithful to the urgent and primary task of the church and that is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, why is that so important? Because Jesus was the one who taught us in the scripture of the reality of hell. 
of the reality of eternal separation from the Father. And that's why Jesus came, to rescue us from our sin, to bring us the message of the good news of eternal life. Then he instilled within his followers that message to spread all over the world because compared to spending hell forever separated from the Father, everything else is secondary. So that is, again, the urgent and primary task of the church. So as we move into the Gospel of John, we see that John was the consummate evangelist. In John 20, verse 31, John says that, I wrote this gospel in order that you may believe in Jesus Christ. You may have an eternal relationship with him. That's what John said in John 20, verse 31. He knew that the primary task that he had been given, and in fact, his nickname in the early church was John the Evangelist, was to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So other things like racial reconciliation and feeding the hungry and giving clean water to the thirsty and visiting the prisoners, all of those things are very important, but they're not the major task of the church. The major task of the church is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then, once people come to faith in him, the proof of their following Jesus is desires for racial reconciliation, working hard for that, feeding the hungry, giving clean water to the thirsty, visiting the prisoners, all of those evidences of that true faith in Jesus. But again, when you take those things and place them against the reality of spending eternity separated from Jesus, all of those things are secondary in comparison to the primary task of preaching the gospel, helping people know Jesus personally so they won't spend eternity separated from him. So with that as a backdrop, we move now into John the first chapter, starting with verse 35. We've already seen who Jesus is in the great prologue of Jesus. The, the word became flesh. Um, Jesus became one of us. It's amazing to think that the God of this universe pursued us so that we can have an eternal relationship with him. And then we saw last week this introduction of this major character called John the Baptizer. Uh, he is Jesus' cousin. Uh, he is about six months older than Jesus is. They grew up together. They most certainly knew one another. And as we look at this passage today, we see John the Baptizer beginning to take again a central focal point in this narrative and then showing us the importance of sharing the gospel with other people and how that then is shared with other people and how that's shared with other people. And then over time, in this sixth degree of influence idea, the whole world comes to know Jesus. So who was the first person to really come to faith in Jesus? Now, we don't know for sure, but in my heart, I really believe it was John the baptizer. I think he knew who Jesus was early on. You know, Jesus in his own development, at the age of 12, we have the story of him being in the temple and confounding the religious leaders with all of his wisdom about God. I think Jesus' messianic consciousness was there at a very early age. And I think John the Baptist and Jesus spent a lot of time together. There was a warmth and a love between them. And interestingly, John the baptizer must have spent time with Jesus and learned about who he was in several different ways. First of all, through his mom and dad, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, surely they told the story of the angel Gabriel appearing to Zechariah and the miraculous birth of John the Baptist to Zechariah and Elizabeth at their later stages of life in barrenness. What a miracle that was. And then surely John the baptizer heard from Mary, Jesus' mother, and also how that experience with Mary and Elizabeth occurred where when Mary walked in the room, John the Baptist in 
Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy. Yeah, surely he heard about that, but then more so, surely he spent time with Jesus growing up. And when he finally felt that call upon his life to go into the wilderness and take on the form of a kind of Elijah-like prophet, you know, wild hair and wearing a vest of camel's hair and just eating locusts and wild honey, Here's John the baptizer proclaiming this message of repent, repent, and people being convicted of their sins by his message came out to listen to him preach by the hundreds, maybe the thousands, and he started baptizing them, washing away their sins to a new life. And then Jesus comes into the water and John actually baptizes him, not because Jesus needed to be baptized, he was sinless, but as an example for all of us that we need to be baptized from our sin. If we truly follow Jesus, we need to follow his example as well. But also at that moment, the inauguration of God's call on John the baptizer's life was now being placed on Jesus' life. The kingdom of God being powerfully now placed upon the life of Jesus, a dove, the Holy Spirit descending from heaven and the Father speaking to Jesus and all those who could hear, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And now again, the shifting of the call upon John the baptizer as Elijah the forerunner proclaiming the Messiah's appearance to now Jesus the Messiah taking the kingdom of God and narrating it and living that out in his next three and a half years of ministry. So we move to John the first chapter and we start with verse 35. After Jesus had been baptized by John, look at verse 29, uh, 35, excuse me. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, that's so interesting because any Jew would have known what John was saying. He was calling Jesus the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ, and he was looking at him saying, That's the Lamb of God. That's the Passover lamb. When, when God freed the Jews from the Egyptian captivity, the angel of death would pass over any door of the Jews that had blood of a perfect unblemished lamb in a cross-like fashion on the doorposts of each home. The angel of death would pass over that home and would not give death to the firstborn son. And annually, the Jews celebrated that, the Passover celebration, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So here is John the baptizer knowing who Jesus was. He was the first to come to really understand that this is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And as he is with two of his disciples, Jesus walks by after John had baptized Jesus, and he points to him and says, Behold the Lamb of God. That that's the Passover lamb. That's the lamb, the perfect unblemished lamb of God who's come into this world to forgive us of our sins. He looks at them and says, behold the lamb of God. Folks, that is all of our passion as well as followers of Jesus. We should point people to Jesus and say, behold, that's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world because here's the truth. When people die, they're going to appear before the Father, and they're going to appear as either forgiven or unforgiven. If they're forgiven, they are entered into eternal life with the Father forever. If they're unforgiven, if their sins persist, the Father must reject them from his presence. As the perfect, pure Father of the universe, he must reject them from his presence. So Jesus is the Lamb of God who forgives us of our sins, who took all of our sins upon himself on that cross and forgave us of those sins by grace through faith, not of our works. So John the Baptist, with two of his disciples, points to Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, the two disciples in verse 37 
heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Now, this is extraordinary. We men need to be more like John the Baptizer. Not that we should go into the wilderness and eat only locusts and wild honey and have strange attire. We just need to be godly men. We need to be sold out men of God. But we also need to be humble men. Remember in last week's message, uh, John said about Jesus, I'm not worthy to tie and untie his sandals. I'm not even worthy to be the most menial servant with Jesus. He is the greatest of all. He existed before I ever existed. Even in eternity, he points to Jesus being the second person of the Godhead. And so here, John is also shown to be humble. He has followers of his own. He has two great disciples who are very close to him, yet he points to Jesus and said, this is the Lamb of God. And they started to follow Jesus. You know, John the baptizer wasn't interested in the number of followers he had on social media. He wasn't interested in the number of people who came to hear him preach. That was not his idol. His idol was to point people to Jesus, that's all. And even if it meant risking two of his best followers, and they left John the baptizer and began to follow Jesus. In verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. So, so Jesus must have had some kind of rabbinical training. Uh, in that day, uh, people would oftentimes hear someone teaching and would choose to follow him because of the way they loved his teaching. So they had heard Jesus teach probably. That's why they called him Rabbi. Where are you staying? They asked. He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where Jesus was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. So, so they went and they sat with Jesus, probably ate with Jesus until four o'clock in the afternoon. Jesus just simply invited them to come, sit with him, listen to him, talk with him, no pressure, you guys just come and see. So as we have John the Baptist being one who says, behold, the Lamb of God. That's one way you can point people to Jesus. Another way is just to say to people, come and see. Just, just come and see who he is. Come to a worship service. Um, come listen to some of the things that some of our teachers at Moments of Hope Church have taught. Uh, come read some of David's blogs every week. Uh, we have something that's available now online where you can have access to all the things I'm writing and teaching. Maybe send that to people. Just come and see. Explore for yourself. Take your time. And that's what happened with these two disciples. We know one of them, we'll see in a second, his name was Andrew. The other was probably John, the disciple whom Jesus loved for. Throughout the Gospel of John, John seldom ever mentions his name. He just refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And here we have John not mentioning his name either, but he most assuredly was one of the first couple of disciples to come and follow Jesus. Verse 40, one of these two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means the rock. Now, this is so interesting because right after Andrew starts to follow Jesus and sits and listens to him until four o'clock in the afternoon, the first person he wants to meet Jesus is his brother, Simon Peter. 
Now here's family evangelism, folks. You know, in this sixth degree of separation, we all have family and friends and acquaintances whom we know. And if we really love Jesus, often we want our family members to know him first. So here is Andrew who comes and knows Jesus, then goes immediately to his brother, Simon Peter, and says, we found him. We have found the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. And so interestingly, Peter comes to Jesus through Andrew, and you're gonna see throughout the Gospel of John, Andrew is constantly bringing people to Jesus. He gets this whole idea of evangelism being the urgent and primary task of the church. And so Jesus looks him in the eye and says, you know, you're Simon, uh, Simon Bar-Jonah is what his name is in another place in the scripture. And that means son of Jonah, but the word Jonah can also mean dove. You're kind of son of the dove. Jesus looked at them and said, you know, your name is Simon. You're the son of wishy-washy because have you ever seen a dove fly? and they dart back and forth and everywhere. He says, you know, you're a pretty wishy-washy guy right now, Simon. That's your name right now. But after you really come to know me later on, your name's going to be Rocky. You know, it's, this, it's like you're going to be a, a WWF fighter. You're going to turn into this strong new fighter for me. And, and people are going to nickname you Rocky. You're going to be the initial Rocky of all times. And you're gonna be the one on whom I really build my entire church. Your faith and your testimony of faith in me is gonna be so strong, I'm gonna build upon you other people who will believe like you believe as well. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in a conversation about how praising God is a key part of having an intimate and personal relationship with Him. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, just wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope, David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, we all been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen and that kind of grew into the Dream Center and the meals we've fed the last eight weeks probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bo? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Thomasboro and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals and, and we just thank you moments of hope and just this couldn't be this wouldn't be possible without you guys and you know uh the, the first call we made uh when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um everything you all do for us and for the kingdom and not only that but you uh, also set into our kitchen in the dream center now this week started producing meals there and as the restaurants opened back up all the meals were shipped to the dream center 
with the kitchen you helped us do. So we're so grateful for you guys. God bless you. God bless Moments of Hope. And we just pray an unlimited return and harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being with us today. It's great being with you, Jen. Thank you for all you do to help make this program work. Well, in your morning e-devotions, you've been writing about developing a personal and intimate relationship with God. And recently, one of the devotions was about making praise personal. I'd love to hear more of what you have to say about that. Well, as we've looked at over the last several weeks, the number of places in the Psalms where King David referred to God as my personal like strength and refuge and strong tower, rock, etc. And one One of the places where David calls God by a personal name is found in Psalm 71, verse 6, when he refers to God as my praise. Now, that's absolutely fascinating when you think about it. Jen, you know, whenever we praise someone, we are lifting them up for something well done, and we love to heap praise on people that we love, but also who've done something extraordinary in their lives or something good that's affected us as well. Mm -hmm. So when you stop and think about King David calling God my praise, I think what he's doing is saying in everything in our lives, we need to stop and pause and say to God, good job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You really did well in your creation of this universe, Mm -hmm. in your ordering of my life. Uh, the ways you oversee all that goes on around me and in me. I'm just going to heap praise on you, God, because you are worthy of that praise. You are my personal praise. So we call God my strength, my hope, my rock. We also call God my praise. God is worthy of my praise because I recognize everything that I have comes from him. This world that I live in that he created is an extraordinary masterpiece. Mm -hmm. I spend all day long applauding God for his glory that he has revealed to me. I know that anything and everything I accomplish in life is only because he has given me the strength to do so. Therefore, God is worthy of my constant abiding praise. God is my praise. So I think all who are listening right now need to ask the question, do you continually praise God? Is it something that forever flows from your lips? At the beginning and the end of each day, do you sit down and simply say, you're worthy of my praise, God. You are my personal living praise. Everything I have comes from you. If not, you should, because God is worthy of that praise. And let's begin right now. Everybody, offer your praise to God. Say to him, Daddy, Lord God of the universe, you're so good. Everything I have comes from you, everything. I am so blessed, so favored to be filled with your power and your grace. I'm saved by your name, the greatest gift of all, done totally by your work, given to me by grace through faith. Therefore, I'm going to praise you today and forever. You're worthy of that praise. I'm going to praise without ceasing. When you do, folks, when you praise like that, you know God as my 
personal praise. That's so good. Thank you so much, David. Yeah, and you know, the opposite of that, Jen, is to be hopeless and despairing. So Mm -hmm. why not choose to believe that God is my praise? And everyone, if you'd like to receive this daily moment of hope that I offer to you, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there every morning at 7 a.m. It will arrive in your inbox. It's free of charge, and it's just my way from my heart to yours of trying to start your day with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message on the Gospel of John is from our online worship service. And you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out our Hopecasts. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for the leadership of our country.